Welcome to Joygasm, where we chat about video games, movies, and pop culture. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360, and sitting in today for Steve is Nick, aka Big Baby Moose, as we begin episode 80 today on July 14th, 2018. Normally, Steve would be joining us, but I am under the weather of sorts, so he decided to remove his presence in the studio, and uh, that's okay, though. That's all right. You know, I, I understand, because I probably wouldn't want to be around me right now either with all of the mucus maintainers I have filled up and uh, the congestion of sorts, but I have robitussined it up. I have gotten that tussin a-going, so hopefully I will not be coughing or hacking too much, but <clears throat> Nick, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm glad to be here. No, I'm just kidding. I actually have a voice. I do not have a cold. I'm feeling rather robust and healthy. Robust and healthy. Unlike Two yourself. words that I, I was going to say, unlike me. Mm, mm, indeed. A withery, um, mucusy, snotty, just oh, cesspool. It's just disgusting. Although I will say I am feeling better today as opposed to last night. I felt bad when we were playing last night because uh, <clears throat> I just felt like I was either like coughing or blowing my nose or something last night. And um, uh, I was, you know, there were times where I had like my controller muted and I forgot it was muted. So like there were times when you guys were trying to get a hold of me and like I was responding and I looked down I'm like, oh, I have it on mute. Unmute. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's not the same without your usual enthusiasm and uh, joy that you bring to our adventures on the high seas. Yeah, it was it was it was definitely different because I mean normally we all play off each other, you Steve and I, and even even my wife Rihanna. And uh, yeah, when you're when you're under the weather, it just it just there's something missing. Some of the magic is gone. You're a good initiator. By the way, I I have to say uh, for all the listeners out there, Nick. And his lovely wife, Ree, are celebrating, I believe, it is their 19th wedding anniversary this weekend. Is that right? Uh, that is correct. We've been together for a long time. I'm an old man. Oh. Nonsense. <laughs> yeah, 19 years. That is years. awesome. 19 years. It's kind of crazy. It's uh, It's gone fast. Too that's fast. Insane. Steve and I were talking about that last night, too. Just like, man, 19 years. Like, that's just... That's that's really cool, though. I mean, a big congratulations to you guys. But at the same time, I was thinking like, man, 19 years. Because you, you got married when you were 20? I was uh, 21. 21. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I was 21. I was 21 when we got married. We dated for about nine months or so. And then while well, we, uh, we met each other in the Navy and then decided to tie the knot. I think we went a little bit sooner than we originally planned on doing just because my, my wife was worried at the time that we would get stationed in different places. So to ensure that uh -huh. we ended up in the same spot, we kind of moved up the date a little bit and uh, we ended up eloping and then having the wedding a little bit over a year later. Bye, see. That's just, oh man, 19 years. That's insane. I mean, just in by comparison, my wife and I have only been married for... I think I think it's gonna be six years this October, so we're definitely behind the the curve, if you will, compared to to you guys. But congratulations on that, because that's that's just really 
I mean, I, that, that's saying something. I mean, actually, when you are about, I don't know, when you hit like 80 or something, I guess you're going to be closing in on like your, my math is terrible. Is it 40th wedding anniversary at that point in time? Let's see, at 80? Well, let's see if next year's going to be 20. Yeah, no, yeah. 60 yeah. or be 40. Yeah. Is that right? That, let's see. Because 60 would be 40th, 80 would be 60th. 80 would be 60th. Okay, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. If I live that long, I'll be amazed. Uh, seriously. My body's falling apart, man. It's ridiculous. No, no. <laughs> <clears throat> if there's one thing I know for sure is the fact that uh, old Nicholas, he's a, as strong as an ox. That man may be having some little, I don't know, little little, little musculature or appendage-oriented little uh, crampage here and there, but uh, I think you're going to make it. Well, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Yeah. No, you know, it's crazy. You guys have been together six years already. I swear. It, it's like, it seems like just yesterday I went down to Texas for your guys' wedding. I know. I know it's crazy. And technically, I mean, we started dating even earlier than that. I mean, oh, we've yeah. been with each other for eight years, just about. It'll mm-hmm. be eight years, I think, probably toward the end of this year. But uh, yeah, just with all the, the turbulent back and forth and that sort of thing, just uh, we, we found ourselves kind of getting more of a later start in terms of uh, so settling down and having the marriage lifestyle and starting a family. So... Have you been playing any games? I know that you have been playing, of course, Sea of Thieves, but have you been playing any other games outside of Sea of Thieves? You know, it just so happens that I have. I've played, oh, oh. played a few few different games. Actually, yeah, no, um, of course, uh, I kind of gotten dragged back into Destiny 2. So I've been playing that a little bit more. They've been slowly fixing things and making quality of life improvements and things that have uh, piqued my interest, adding some weapons that are actually fun to use, increasing our power so you actually feel like you're, you know, some kind of like crazy space magician that can smash things instead of being a wet noodle like it was at the beginning of uh, Destiny 2. I'm still really confused by the choices they made going into that game, but uh, whatever. Not going to go there today. But yeah, so I've been playing that a little bit more. Uh, I picked up the Crew 2 here recently, and if you want, we could chat a little bit about that later, some of my early impressions been playing yeah. that a little. And then also on your recommendation, I picked up uh, Ori and the Blind Forest, which, my goodness, might be the prettiest side-scroller I think I've ever seen. The music. Have is you had a chance to fabulous. actually sit down and play it? Uh, some. I'm, I'm definitely not as far as you. Uh, I've gotten through the first, I think, like a couple levels or so. So, okay. um, But it's on my, my list of things to do more of. But then it's like, you know, the night comes and the wife wants to play Sea of Thieves and then there's the Russ and Steve. And, you know, yeah. I get to go from talking like this to using a, you know, the pirate voice says I, says I. you. Ah. And it's like you just you just want to get into that, you know. And, and then the next thing you know, you're playing Sea of Thieves for like six hours and it's two in the morning and you're going, uh, what am I doing? I have to work in uh-huh. three hours. Yeah, and then we get up the next day and we do it again because <laughs> we're dumb. I feel like there's like a healthiness to tapping into <clears throat> one's inner pirate. I, I, I think it doesn't matter who you are, just being able to like have some sort of pirate outlet. I think I think it's good for the soul. It really is. It really is. You know, it. Uh, th- there's there's just kind of a whimsical nature that comes with the whole pirate lifestyle and mystique that, you know, they they were these. You know, they're kind of, obviously at this point, they've kind of been built up as sort of legendary figures, you know, from the past, at least 
I know there are still pirates now and they are far from legendary. They do some crazy stuff, but you know, you're talking about days of yore. Uh, Ooh. just the idea of, of you're out on the untamed seas and you're living an untamed life where yeah. you go where you want, you do what you want, you take what you want, you know, and there's something kind of freeing about that, especially in today's kind of buttoned up, you know, got to make sure you don't step on anybody's toes and, you know, walk a straight line kind of society we live in. There's something kind of nice and freeing about just tapping out for a little bit and just throwing kind of <clears throat> responsibility to the, to the wayside and just doing whatever the heck you feel like. Right. Right. Have you seen any movies lately? Oh gosh. Let's see. The last movie I saw in the theater was infinity war. Cause you know, two kids, Oh, it costs a ton to get out of the house. So but man, that I really enjoyed that film. I don't know. You want to talk about that oh a little bit? Or, gosh. Or what? Yeah. Yeah. Just tell me what you think. Okay. Well, I'll give you my general overview. Um, first I'll start with some of the things I heard going into the movie. So from, Folks like yourself, uh, who are very into the Marvel Universe, who have been into the Marvel Universe for, goodness gracious, let's see, we met when we were 13 and we were into it then, so we're talking, you know, basically 30 years, you know, 30 years, 30 years plus. Yeah, I mean, honestly, even if you've been into it for the last, like, probably 10 or 15, you probably get it. Uh, I think that most of the people who were in that boat, we went into the movie kind of knowing a little bit about what's going on peripherally from the movies themselves, and were able to just enjoy the film um, and kind of concentrate on Thanos' story in, right. in the film. But I think for people who aren't as close to it, um, and I heard this from a lot of people, they said that it, it seemed kind of chaotic. They kind of wanted to focus on some of the heroes, and it was just jumping from hero to hero, and it was kind of hard to keep track. And uh, I, I think that with this movie and with the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general, it, it, it kind of requires that, one, you've seen literally every film before this, so that you have a basic idea of what's going on and what's been leading to this point. And then also um, understanding that this particular film, while yes, it is about the, all of these heroes that have been introduced to this point, it's really is a movie more about who Thanos is because without right. understanding who he was and what his motivations were and why he was doing what he was doing, it, it is a chaotic movie. There's a lot going on. But yeah. if you're able to just key in, and that's what I did when I sat down and was watching, I keyed in on Thanos' story and seeing him as, even though he's obviously a villain, his ideals are warped and wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. Genocide is never the answer. I don't care what the circumstances are. Uh, but you can understand why he thinks the way he thinks and why he feels the way he feels when he watched his people die and everything that he said that would happen, happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, to me, like, I, I remember when we were re reviewing the film and I was saying that's actually the key component of what makes Thanos a terrifying villain was that they actually took the time to explain his perspective on things. Yeah, they fleshed it out. one thing if they did, they absolutely did. And I think that if you have a villain that's too one dimensional where they're just bad for the sake of being evil or whatever, it's there's a limitation to like how that connects to the viewer versus if you have an antagonist that actually in their minds think that they're doing the right thing. But then like you see what's going on and, and, and just the, their rationale or the, or their justification for these like horrific acts and stuff. Then suddenly you're like, wow, this is, this is on a whole other level. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it, the, this is kind of a loose association, but it's like when I was in the, in the service, you know, oftentimes, you know, during the Iraqi and Afghani conflicts, you know, with all that going on, you know, we would talk to each other about, you know, Hey, we're fighting these people, you know, obviously people are dying. 
and just how, how often it is that like, I can't imagine that the people that we often find as our adversaries aren't exactly like us. They're thinking that they're doing the right thing. They're thinking that they're protecting their country. They're protecting their beliefs and their, their core value system. And, and, and they believe truly fundamentally that what they're doing is the right thing to do more often than not. And, and it's like, it's like, you know, the whole six degrees of separation kind of thing. We're really all the same. It's just, there's these circumstances that kind of put walls between us. And, and that's what you kind of see happening with Thanos. It's like, he's a very sympathetic character. You can totally understand why he thinks the way he thinks and how he came to the conclusion that honestly, this is really the best thing. You can even make an argument that as messed up as it is, the universe could potentially be a better place after he does what he does as far as uh, survival of the species and all species in this case go. But at the same time, uh, for those of us who are idealists and for those of us who who are always looking for the better way. I think that you just look at that and that's why he ends up being the villain is that the idealist can look at that and go, yeah, your way works, but there's gotta be a better way that doesn't result in so much, much death. And, and how do we go about that? And I think that, uh, that kind of parallel between, you know, adversaries often aren't that different. It's really just a point of view kind of thing. It is oh, yeah. a really interesting and very real world thing to use as kind of a catalyst for creating a, his character. Yeah, that film was just, it was... Oh, and it's a cinematic it, marvel. Seriously. Cinematic marvel. I it mean, really is. You've got a digital character that basically carries that film. Um, last time I can really think of that happening was probably, you know, the Lord of the Rings movies with Gollum. And granted, he wasn't even the main character. Uh, or right. He, he was a, 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 a main character. But you, you could even make the argument that he was sort of, you know, secondary to, to Sam and, and Frodo's story. So to, to see a character where basically it's like, okay, we're going to put the majority of the weight of this movie on this person and, and their actions and, and who they are and allow this digital character to carry the film is in a film with other live action people. Uh, it, it was impressive to me because like I found myself completely not really even thinking about the fact that he's, you know, basically this computer generated villain. Right. You know, he was just another actor on the screen to me, you know, and that's uh, a credit to uh, because what was it? Josh Brolin who does this. Yeah. Josh Brolin was the one who provided kind of the the raw acting and then ILM came in and as well as some other uh, visual effects houses. And just, yeah, by and large was just a digital character. Yeah, It's really a credit to all of them as a whole on the acting side and then on the the production side to, to be able to put something like that into effect so, so well. Uh, I, I yeah. love the film. I, I'm really bummed that I haven't been able to see it again. But like I said, you know, with a couple kids and stuff, you know, going to just see one movie ends up being like a hundred dollar plus outing because of, you know, babysitter and everything else. So, oh yeah, it's hard to get out. You know what I'm talking about? I know you know what I'm oh, talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, dear son. <laughs> and I'm broke. I got no money. I'm broke. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> yeah, no. So, but I, I, think, I did like it. So, and, and um, I guess on, on um, my side of things, I I think the only thing I've been really been playing is just Sea of Thieves. I've just been playing that over and over and over. Um, I don't really have... It's funny, I have all these other games that I have not played yet. Um, but, um, yeah, for this week, I've just been kind of ping-ponging on there. I, I have been playing more Peggle with the little one. My daughter loves Peggle, so we've been um, making our way through the trials on that one, but... 
um, that's pretty much all I've been up to for for this week. Because I just largely because I um, last um, few days I've uh, <clears throat> been a little congested. So yeah, no, put it I just, frankly, I just to do that, but you sounded like crap. <laughs> yeah, that's what Steve was saying too. He was just like. Dude, you sounded like death last night. I'm like, yeah, well, it's just, you know, I think gaming, that, that's yet another great thing about gaming is like when you're uh, not feeling too uh, zestfully uh, clean, so to speak, um, it actually acts as a nice distraction from like just how you're just sitting there like feeling exhausted and your eyeballs hurt and your all that other fun stuff. But uh, mm. it's, it's nice. I liked it. Hopefully you guys weren't too grossed out by all the different noises. Dude, we got kids. Sure. We get colds. We're human beings too, Russ. Over here, we understand yes. your plight. Yes. Well, let, <clears throat> let's jump into some uh, some gaming news here. Um, first thing I want to do is, is um, start off with um, a fun update regarding a fundraiser that Blizzard was involved in, and uh, the headline was that Overwatch raised twelve point seven million dollars for charity thanks to the Pink Mercy skin, which. Um, I purchased, I don't know if Steve bought it, and I know you don't really play too much Overwatch, but that was one thing where I looked at, I think they raised the price on it that was a bit more than what you typically would pay for other skins. I think it was like $15 or something like that, but the, but like 100% of the proceeds went, went to uh, breast cancer uh, research and all that kind of stuff, but um, in fact, yeah, actually, it looks like it was the Breast Cancer Research Foundation that 100% of the proceeds went to. And um, Adam uh, Pankhurst reported that uh, Blizzard announced that the campaign, which ran from May 8th through the 21st, raised over 12.7 mil and became the largest donation by a corporate partner within one year of the 25 history of the foundation. So I think that is unto itself is, is a pretty cool little anecdote. Um, the Overwatch team also announced that $130,000 in donations were made separately by watching 14 different Overwatch stars stream on Twitch. And um, I don't know. I think this is an opportunity for a company like Blizzard who has a huge fan following. I think that this is just a really neat example of what can happen if you have um, kind of a lightning rod like Blizzard be able to le leverage itself and put together some kind of fundraiser for a charitable cause. What do you think? Oh, definitely. I mean, the thing that I think is really interesting is it's like, uh, I think oftentimes we, we we see these these big these bigger issues in life, right? You know, whether it's hunger, homelessness, uh, a disaster that happens in another place, or even here on, on home soil, or, or something like cancer, and you just you start thinking about the money and, and everything, and like, well, what can I do? What can I do? Right? Um, and Oftentimes we just kind of write it off as well. I'm not in a place financially where I can give twelve million dollars. So what good is it going to do? But when right. you get the right, the right entity focusing um, people's dollars in the right way, I mean, look what it does. I mean, you've got a fifteen dollars skin. Now, granted, not all of that money's from the fifteen dollars skin, but I would argue that a vast majority of it was results in twelve point seven million. I mean, when everybody gives just a little bit, it makes a huge difference. Uh, I remember in Destiny 1 when the the huge earthquake happened in Nepal, Bungie did a thing similar to this where they, they made a shirt and an emblem for Endgame where you could uh, you could buy it and 100% of the proceeds went to help the people of Nepal. And they ended up raising like $6 million. And I mean, and, and when everybody comes together and just gives a little bit, it does a, a, a lot. 
<laughs> and so it really does. And it's just it's really cool because you know sometimes the gaming community can kind of get a get a bad rap, you know, whether it's from you know toxicity within the community itself or the the old stigmas of games being bad or resulting in more violent crime or whatever it may be. But uh, I would say generally on the whole, it, it's a, it's generally a good community, and when the opportunities are there for for us to kind of flex our financial muscle for something good, it seems like more often than not, it results in some pretty fantastic stuff. Yeah, yeah. Another story that kind of um, is a bit of a spinoff from Blizzard is that ESPN, Disney, and ABC to broadcast Overwatch League. And uh, this was from IGN. They reported that ESPN has announced Disney has signed a multi-year broadcast deal with Blizzard Entertainment. The deal will cover the Overwatch League playoffs beginning tonight. And um, the season one grand finals from uh, the Barclays Center next month, the Overwatch World Cup this fall, and Overwatch League season two next year, which I was surprised to see because my understanding was that Twitch had buttoned up um, some exclusive rights, at least for the, the next couple of years. But apparently there is something that's a bit, uh, I guess, being played close to the chest or something because clearly this is um, starting to, to kind of push its way in here. Overwatch matches will be broadcast across the ESPN network, ESPN2, Disney XD, ABC, and streaming services with, quote, hundreds of hours, end quote, of live and highlighted programming. This will mark the first time the Overwatch League will be broadcast live on TV, which is, I mean, again, that's a that's a big step for gaming too, right? Like having like a, a pretty massive platform like ESPN or ABC broadcasting professional gaming. I don't know if you, actually, I don't know if I've ever asked you that, Nick. Are you into it, watching any of the, the, the major league gaming at all? You know, um, I, I, I have been. I, I haven't been as much lately. I was really big into League of Legends for, for many years, really, and uh, watched Riot Games, you know, championship series with that, which pits, you know, teams from all over the world against each other. And mm -hmm. uh, really, really enjoyed it. It's really fun. They had really, for the most part, pretty good um, casters that would, you know, talk through what was going on in the game. and. I thought it was fantastic and the viewership was always incredible. I, I kind of feel like this has been a long time in coming, you know, yes. like the writing's been on the wall. You're just kind of waiting for one of these entities to uh, kind of jump on board. And uh, I had a friend of mine who actually worked for Disney uh, for a little bit. He now works for Twitch, funnily enough. And part of what nice. he was doing was going back to ESPN when a couple of years ago when they were really deciding, yeah, we're going to start supporting esports. This is a, a vibrant, growing community. There's millions of people watching this stuff. You know, what, what do we need to do to get into it and to get involved? And he actually went to Bristol and, and worked with uh, some of the folks over there to um, kind of guide them in what they would need to do and how to approach it and things like that. And uh, his sense, again, he's since moved on to working for Twitch because that was kind of his dream job. But uh, sure. But yeah, no, I think that this is a, it's a really interesting move. I think it's a good move. I think that it's going to be potentially a lucrative move for them because, I mean, there's so many people that enjoy this kind of thing now. And even for someone like me where, like, I don't necessarily play Overwatch as much, uh -huh. I do enjoy the game and I do like watching high-level play. And it, it's really cool to be able to know that, like, now I can sit on the comfort of my couch if I want and turn on the TV even. I don't have to go yeah. know, fire up my Twitch app and then have my controller in my hand. And I, mean, I just click on the thing, go over to ESPN, bang, I'm sitting there, grab some popcorn and some drinks, and away we go. 
And I think that this is just the first step in what you're going to see being a, a larger influx. I think you're going to see a lot of the big titles eventually finding their way to mainstream television of some sort or another. I am curious to see how that's going to happen because I do think that Blizzard as a company has really done a, a fine job of pushing this out the gate. And they, I mean, of course, <clears throat> in terms of, of, of them having a presence within like the kind of the, the major league gaming platform, of course, they've been doing that with some of their older titles. But Overwatch, it, I noticed they took a, a very distinct approach in terms of like having a... Um, a, a thematic stage designed in such a way for competitive play for, for a first person shooter title and just a lot of how they're handling a lot of it to me is, is a bit of a departure from what they've done in the past with like Starcraft or uh, Warcraft, that sort of thing. And um, I'm curious to see how it goes. I think it's still, like you said, I, th I think it's like this long time coming evolution of how they can get up to speed but I, for one, would love to be able to watch certain titles where they have just these these amazingly talented gamers that, I mean, if you or myself were to, to play against, we would have no hope of winning whatsoever. And just seeing them unleash their, their skill sets on the, on the screen. I know for me, sometimes I'll watch Overwatch League and... Um, especially with certain characters that I'm not very good at. Like some of the, the pro Widowmakers out there are just uncannily good at, at no scoping players from across the map and whatnot. It, it really is just such a, a talent unto itself. But anyway, wait, we could, we could talk about that forever today. But um, one final article I have on here for gaming news is that Anthem will let you turn off damage numbers. And Steve and I were talking about this on a previous episode of Joygasm, where when we were looking at some of the, the walkthrough game demo, we noticed that as you were firing, it was constantly plopping out those damage numbers at you. And uh, during the Ask Me Almost Anything About Bioware segment, um, they revealed that players can customize damage numbers in its upcoming sci-fi action game. Um, and they said, quote, damage floaties can be turned, or excuse me, tuned to your liking, end quote, reads a tweet from Anthem's official Twitter account. You can adjust the opacity, the size, and even completely turn them off, whatever helps you win the battle. So if you're a person who doesn't like the idea of Anthem's world being infested with flying digits, you can keep that knowledge hidden or adjust it in whatever way feels best. And actually... I'm trying to think. I know there have been other titles in the past that do that sort of thing. I know Borderlands does it. Um, I don't, I, you know, honestly, yeah, Destiny does it as well, don't they? They have the, the damage numbers that appear as you're firing. Is that correct? Yeah, they do. And But um, I'm pretty sure you can't turn those off. They're just kind of there. Okay. That, that was one of the comments that we made when we were looking at Anthem was that we would prefer to actually turn them off. Or at least perhaps have them on, on like just much more subtle because it just it felt like it was more like an arcade game at that point and less of like an immersive experience. Do you have a preference either way or do you not mind? You know, it, it kind of depends. Um, I mean, I've gotten used to seeing it in, in Destiny. Another title that does that and gives you the option to turn them on and off is uh, Diablo 3. Uh, you can have numbers flying all over the screen if you want in, in that game. Um, it's one of those things that like, I don't really think about if it's already there in the game, you just kind of accept it as it is, you know, like Destiny, it's uh -huh. just there, you can't do anything about it. 
And so it's just kind of like, okay, there's your numbers. And, and I would say that it's, it is nice sometimes when it comes to games that allow you to do critical hits. I like being able to see when my critical hit numbers, because then that tells me if my aim's good. Um, so right. I know like for me and Anthem, I, if the option is there, I'll probably have it tuned to show me critical num um, hit numbers and I'll probably have them be fairly transparent, but just enough that I can see them. Uh, but I will say, uh, for games that are gonna have more of a, a an RPG hook or um, something where the, the experience is designed to be more story-based and immersive, I prefer that you not have those kinds of things because I do agree it does mm -hmm. make it kind of arcadey. And um, in a game such as that, I'm there generally more for the story and the experience than I am just for the let's wreck everything in sight. Whereas in Diablo, I turned on every dang number I could possibly find. I love watching numbers fly over the screen as mobs just explode as I do all my different stuff with like, you know, my Crusader or my Necromancer or whatever. And uh, actually you touched on something that I find to be interesting. Actually, I haven't really thought about before. And that is in terms of how the, the, the game is played in terms of like, I would say specifically the camera positioning. I, th I think I agree with that because in a game like Diablo, where it's more of an isometric view, it is kind of rewarding to see like how much damage you're doing to certain characters on the screen. And I think, even in a first-person shooter, that can also be considered to be acceptable, in my opinion. Like, I could, I could go either way, either not see them at all or see them. But in the case of a title like Anthem, Anthem is played in third-person uh, perspective. And I'm not exactly sure where I stand on that. It's uh, I know my knee-jerk reaction when I was looking at Anthem was that I didn't care for seeing all these huge numbers being... Uh, jettisoned out from the enemy that was being shot at. I think I'd prefer to actually just have it be more of like a, a halo experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know. This is weird to think about. I've, I've really not stopped to kind of analyze like what I would prefer versus what I don't prefer on that. But I can tell you um, that just looking at the game demo of Anthem, that was what I was what my knee jerk reaction was like when I said it earlier, it was just, uh, I did, I would prefer probably not to see the digits there, but it is interesting to think about. Yeah. Like just kind of one final thought from my end on that. Just, um, it, it, it kind of serves two purposes. Uh, I find depending on the game, uh, in a game like Diablo, it's kind of more about the, the power fantasy. You're seeing these numbers fly everywhere. You're getting an idea of like what your general DPS is. And you're just like, I am freaking God here. Look at me. Just melt everything. I'm amazing. And, and there's that sort of power fantasy that it's kind of like, adding into when you're just seeing these gigantic numbers just fall all over, you know, as you nuke a screen. Uh, in Destiny, it, it, it's providing information, right? So uh, you can get an idea of your general DPS there, uh, which gives you an idea of how much damage you're doing to the boss. Are you hitting a crit shot? Um, are you maintaining crit shots? Because in a game like that where doing the most damage possible as fast as possible can change the outcome of something like a raid uh, drastically because you can literally remove an entire like phase if you do enough damage quickly enough, um, which of course increases your likelihood of completing it. Uh, it can be, it can be useful, but I will say, I kind of agree with you on that third person perspective. The one thing I don't like is if I have information on the screen that is interfering with my ability to see what I am supposed to be doing. And when you have that third mm. person perspective, you aren't going to get a reticle, <coughs> a zoomed in reticle like you are in Call of Duty or Destiny or Halo. 
you're going to be getting a reticle that's on screen that's probably you know more like Gears of War that's going to be up above kind of your shoulder. And now if you've got all these numbers flying around with that, how much are these numbers impeding my ability to tell where this reticle is because I'm in this third-person perspective? Then, then I've got a problem because it's interfe- interfering potentially with my ability to aim. So yeah, yeah, I, I think it really does depend on the title and, and perspectives can make a big difference. <clears throat> I'd agree with that. Yeah. Well, just in, in even having the option to be able to just turn it off or to have some kind of subtlety options. I, I really like the idea of that. I mean, who doesn't like options, right? Yeah, I was like just about that. to say it that would, the, the more customization that you have and op- options to kind of tweak something to suit your needs, I, I think that's just better for the gamer across the board pretty much. Yeah. So let's pivot over to movie news. We have a few articles for that. Um, One that I found actually while going through Instagram and Twitter was that Gal Gadot visits Children's Hospital in full Wonder Woman costume, which I I just think is just terrific. Um, She donned on her her full DC Heroes uh, outfit while visiting the Innova Children's Hospital in, I'm I'm totally going to like butcher this name, but it's like, Annandale, Virginia. Hopefully I said that correctly. Um, But she was visiting all the kids who, um, I don't know if they were special needs children or if they had um, certain types of ailments and that sort of thing. But I saw just a couple of pictures and I thought that was just the coolest thing for her to be able to like get back into her Wonder Woman thing and and, uh, go and and just brighten up the day of, of the staff and the kids that were there. And I think uh, to a lesser degree, there are a lot of cosplayers out there that do the same type of thing. In fact, I've worked with a couple of them that on the weekends, they'll actually get dressed up as some sort of superhero or something. And they'll go to like a local hospital or foster home or that's not, not, excuse me, not a foster home, but, um, orphanage. And, uh, be able to just kind of spread some cheer in that sort of fashion. And I think that that's a, a really cool thing to do. And I, for one, hope to see more of these celebrities who have been blessed with different types of superhero personas that they've been able to you know, monetarily benefit from and become these these really famed celebrities over. It'd be great for them to, to continue kind of passing the torch, so to speak, and, and, and doing this sort of thing. Because I think, especially to a child who's, you know, five, eight... 10 years old, that sort of thing, that, that would just absolutely make them forget about whatever it is that they're going through. Yeah, no, I mean, it, some of the best medicine you can have is is, is positivity, right? Uh, they say the outcomes for people that are that are generally, that they're happy, they're positive, and they're able to maintain that, that their outcomes uh, from a health standpoint are generally greater than those who are despairing. And the fact that you can go in, and in a lot of cases, the kids in these children's hospital, whether they're positive or not, it's not going to end well. Like they're they're there because they're terminally ill. Um, you know, yeah. whether it's people at St. Jude's or like the Seattle Children's over here where I live, or uh, probably this hospital that she was at as well. And the fact that that some of these celebrities have have opted to go there on their time and to do something fun that is going to touch the lives, the brief, the very brief lives for some of these kids and and offer them something truly unique. Uh, I don't think it can be understated, like just how huge that is. I mean, imagine meeting your heroes as a kid. Like what, if you ever met any, then you know what, what it feels like. If you haven't, you can imagine 
like how cool that would be. Uh, and then, like I know like Robert Downey Jr. has done done this sort of thing with his Iron Man stuff. He's come as Tony Stark and like brought Iron Man tech to some kids. He's come in the Iron Man uh, you know outfit. So uh, some other people have done that as well. Uh, anything you can do for for kids that are you know that are severely ill or terminally ill. I'm all for it. And I mean, my, my hat's off to her for, for taking the time to do that. I mean, what a blessing to the, to those, to those kids and to those families. Yeah. Um, the next article I have here is that Spider-Man and Dr. Strange co-creator Steve Ditko dies. Uh, the Hollywood reporter reported that uh, Ditko was found dead in his apartment on June 29th. No cause of death has been announced, but it is believed Ditko passed uh, away two days earlier. Ditko, along with Stan Lee, came up with the idea for Spider-Man in 1961 after Lee wasn't satisfied with Jack Kirby's take on a teenage superhero with spider powers. Ditko was created with creating Spider-Man's costume, its red and blue design, and the web shooters. He also helped create a variety of classic Spidey villains, such as Green Goblin, Dr. Octopus, Sandman, and the Lizard. Ditko also created Dr. Strange two years later in 1963, and shortly thereafter parted ways with Marvel Comics and Lee in 1966. And I have to say, I have to um, tell a little story here, which, Nick, you actually may remember this, but um, I first got into comic books back in 1992. And I had to, to do some research just to remember what it was. But I remember uh, we had that, that whole kind of like mandatory reading after lunch kind of thing where you had to have a book or something. Uh, it didn't matter what class you were in, but they were they had this like program at the junior high we went to. Mm-hmm. And I remember I didn't have a uh, I didn't have any reading material. I didn't have a book. And um, there was a, an old uh, fella by the name of Nick Hunt. Remember him? Oh, yeah. He was in my English class and I didn't have anything to read. And so he ended up tossing me one of his extra comic books and said that I could keep it. And I, at the time I had never read a comic in my life and it was the amazing Spider-Man number 651. Um, and I, I, you know, it's, it's crazy. It has been kind of burned into my, my psyche, but I remember the cover being, it was like, it was kind of a yellow cover and there was some kind of sentinel robot thing with like three heads on it. It was kind of blue and white and, and Spider-Man was kind of leaping or swinging towards the, uh, the viewer, so to speak. And then there was some kind of, uh, uh, additional like special guest character by the name of Nova that was on the on the cover, but that right there was the experience that cemented my love affair up to this day with comic books. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I think that it's it's amazing how you can have an idea such as Spider Man, for instance, make such a not just a, a national impact, but an international impact. I mean, people love Spider Man; they love his design. They, they love um, just the, the different villains that, that reside in a world like that. And honestly, I'm not, until I saw this article, I was not too familiar with Mr. Ditko. I thought that just it was Stanley and, and Jack Kirby that had created Spider-Man. But um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's important that we just take the time to be able to kind of reflect a bit on the contributions that this gentleman made and like just the impact it has on our lives. 
I mean, you're, you're talking about one of the most iconic Marvel heroes. I mean, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't know who Spider-Man is, uh, hasn't heard, at least heard of Spider-Man. Uh, I mean, and that's for people that have never looked at a comic in their life. It's just, he's a familiar superhero. He, he's kind of like, uh, in some ways I would kind of say he's like Marvel's Superman. I mean, everybody's, yeah. everybody's heard of Superman. And everybody's heard of Spider-Man, and out of the people in the cinematic uh, Marvel universe, he's had the most films. You know, if you consider the old Tobey Maguire ones and whatnot as well. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I mean, to, you can't understate the contribution because he here you have, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, Steve Dicko who created the, the look that to this day, for the most part. That's the look the Spider-Man has. It's been iterated on and it's been, you know, tweaked, but the the core suit is still the same. Yeah. You know, it's lasted through the ages. And it's funny to me that that's actually the the, the first comic that you read was was Spider-Man. I don't I don't think I knew that. Really? Yeah, because you've always been a Batman guy. So I kind of always thought that that was kind of your kick. <clears throat> like that was what you started with. And then later on, you branched into other things. I didn't realize that it was actually that comic that Nick gave you. Yeah, yeah. The Amazing Spider-Man was the the very first comic I have ever... It made me like... <clears throat> it, it, the comic books, of course, are way different than like the Sunday comics you would see in the newspaper. And for all you millennials out there, yes, there used to be comic strips in what we call newspapers. But um, <laughs> it's... Uh, no, like that was the very first like official comic book. And of course, after that, then I had to figure out like if there were any local comic book shops in our town, which there was, and mm -hmm. um, the rest is history after that. But yeah, Batman, by and large, is my absolute favorite comic book character. However, I got my my first uh, introduction into the whole thing with Spider-Man, and Spider-Man actually is, I mean, he's definitely high up on the list. I think that um, if you were to compare the worlds of, say, Spider-Man and Batman, I really do think that um, Spider-Man runs kind of a parallel to Batman in the sense that um, the villains are just so memorable in Spider-Man's world. And it's the same in Batman, where mm -hmm. Batman, you just have the, all of these just tremendously fascinating villains that, that just each one has their own vice and they each have their own motivation and that sort of thing. And, and when you look at the Marvel Universe, there are a lot of other interesting um, villains from the, from the different comic books, but I feel like Spider-Man definitely has just, just this huge pedigree of different types of villains that uh, you know that, that work with. And of course, you had kind of the parallels of of uh, having family relatives die and that sort of thing, acting as kind of the the catalyst for why they do what they do, kind of thing. But um, no, I just I, I think it's I think we're we're starting to enter into kind of like this transitionary period where a lot of the the creators of these beloved comic books are starting to to kind of ride off into the sunset, and um, I'm just so grateful for folks like Steve Ditko and like Stan Lee. I mean, Stan Lee, I think he's like 95. Yeah, at least. he's way up there. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, he, his, I know his wife passed away last year, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how much time he has left. But I mean, I just I find myself as a, just this big Marvel fan, just cherishing the time that we do have with him. I think it's great that he is so active on social media, uh, whether it's Facebook or, or Twitter, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, just it's just crazy to look at some of these types of of creators that that also made 
these these fundamental contributions overall. And of course, you know, Marvel, I think there's like within the world of Marvel itself, there are over 3000 characters, right? Yeah, it's something like that. It's it's really way up there. Um, just kind of my own little thing on, on comic books and stuff. I mean, you know about this. This will be probably a little deeper than dive than you usually go on your show. Uh, you know, I don't remember for sure exactly which comic was the first comic I ever saw. It was either Captain America or Wolverine. And uh, but I had always done a little, dabbled a little bit in, in art and drawing, you know, and sketching and stuff, as you know. And, you know, seeing these things and I loved the art. That was the first thing I was attracted to. And then I'd read the stories and just loved the stories. And right. for me, like I started collecting comics, I want to say when I was about maybe 13. I want to say somewhere right around there. Yeah, probably 13, 14 years old. And uh, using using my hard-earned allowance to, to, of course. to go get comics. But uh, for me, like so much of comic books and the the allure, other than just the, the art, the stories was that like growing up being a foster kid and living in so many different homes and bouncing all over the place, it was, it was nice to read about these people who oftentimes came from less than great circumstances, whether it's Peter Parker and his poor decision that led to, you know, his uncle's death or, you know, something like the X-Men where they're, they're kind of outcasts, which I kind of really identified with because I felt like an outcast. Um, comics just reached me in a way at the place I was at at the time of just wanting to be more wanting to be able to rise above all the, the terrible things that are happening in life at the time and to do something incredible. I just latched onto that because that was so attractive to me because I, I didn't have the ability to do that in my life at the time. And it was kind of an escape for me. And it's really interesting to all these people who create stuff, whether it's it's someone like Steve Ditko or you know people who create movies or books or anything like that. Um, while I'm sure they have some idea of the kind of, of reach that their materials have. I don't un know if they always understand exactly just the kind of impacts that it can have on certain people, cer certain circumstances in their life. And, and for me, comics were in some ways kind of a life raft at times when I was in some pretty dark places as a kid. So I have the utmost respect for those, those folks as creators. And as far as Stan Lee goes, yeah, I love that guy. I, I look forward to his cameos in, in the movies all the time. And uh, I also agree. I think it's fabulous that you've got this this ninety year old man who's just so active everywhere. Really, you know. Well, and I think it it keeps. It's. it's I think that actually is is a large part of what keeps him going. I think that like when people have purpose in life, mm, yeah, it just it spurns the the soul forward, right? I mean, like like you constantly. I think that that's kind of a. Um, a surprise for a lot of folks when they enter into their retirement years is that then they kind of are in this um, kind of more final phase of life kind of thing, I guess you could say. Um, and of course that, that phase can last for decades, but um, I do think that it's important that if you find something that just, you know, gets you out of bed in the mornings and you look yourself in the mirror and you're a different kind of person, I think that 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 really can act as just a a factor that that keeps you young at heart, you know. Definitely. And I think that I think Stan Lee is one of those people who is. I mean, he's been he's been through a lot in terms of watching um, his company get 
bigger and more successful and then have to deal with um, almost filing for bankruptcy. In fact, I don't know if, if they did file for bankruptcy, but I know they they fell on some, some financial hardship there for a while. Mm -hmm. And then watch it, you know, all of a sudden survive that and, and flourish into Hollywood. And just it's, it's just amazing how here he is, 95 years old, and he's able to see the entire world just absolutely embrace his characters. Yeah, no, it's it's incredible. And I mean, it's a testament to to hard work, you know, and to, to resiliency. And I think you're exactly right about the getting you out of bed thing. Uh, do you remember reading Death of a Salesman when we were in high school? Yeah, I remember that. Okay, for those who have not read the book, quick synopsis, uh, you had a guy in there who his whole life, he was this door-to-door -door salesman and all of a sudden his company decides, you know what, we're done with you. You're not doing sales anymore because you're not doing good enough. And his whole identity was wrapped up in being a salesman. And when they took that away from him, he had nothing. Uh, that book has always stuck with me. Um, I never wanted to be have my identity wrapped up in something external of me. Um, you know, where it's like, oh, well, I'm a safety officer because that's what I do in real life. And that's who I am. And if you take that from me, then who am I? You know, I think it's really important to have have these things in life that that, that, that define you, but that you're always separate from, I guess is what I would say. And always, yeah. it always stuck with me that book of, you know, just you had this guy who had all of his identity and self-worth wrapped up in what he did rather than who he was. And when they took that away from him, he ended up committed committing suicide in the book. And, um, mm -hmm. and granted now a lot of people who retire and stuff and you'll hear about people retire and a year later they've passed away. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's not a suicide thing, but I think it's sort of a death of the spirit because yeah, if you have no purpose, if you don't have that special something that kind of like puts some pep in your step and keeps you young at heart, I think that there is a tendency to just kind of fade away, you know? And, uh, obviously mm -hmm. he's still got that. He does. Oh yeah. I always love it when he says Excelsior. It's always so fun. <laughs> <clears throat> so the the final um, news article here that actually um, has to do with Spider Man is that Nicolas Cage. My wife actually came across this headline. I could I thought this was like a prank or something, but Nicolas Cage has been confirmed to play Spider Man. Um, and so before everybody freaks out, Tom Holland will in fact reprise his role in the upcoming Spider Man movie. Um, but there's an upcoming movie project that focuses on the Spider-Verse storyline. And apparently they have attached Nicolas Cage as perhaps one of the um, Spider-Mans that exist in one of the alternate universes. I, for one, I don't think I've, I've really read too much about that particular storyline. But I, for what I do understand is that Spider-Man somehow is able to go into this kind of uh, alternate universe situation and like with within this, these alternate universes like you actually have all these different types of spider-mans that are kind of living their own parallel dimension their own parallel lives kind of thing and and i guess like they can um like the, their ethnicity can be different their age can be different um, that's, I mean, again, this is very high level because I haven't read the story, but, um, what are your thoughts on, on Nicolas Cage participating in, in a movie like that? It, it's the whole multiverse thing. Um, I think that's where the, the, my, was it, I can't remember his last name. Miles, is it Miles Gonzalez? Miles, Miles something. I don't remember. He's one of the Spider-Men, but he's from the other universe. Uh, and I, at one point I know in the comics, like him and Peter Parker actually come into contact with each other. Um, but, uh. As far as Nicolas Cage playing that that the role, you know, it's funny. I don't. He gets a bad rap, and sometimes deservedly so. 
But there are also times where he's done some pretty awesome uh, jobs in movies and uh, has played in some roles I've really enjoyed. Uh, so I, I try to reserve my judgment when it comes to actors being cast for something until I get a chance to see it. Uh, a recent case in point would be Ben Affleck as, as Batman. While I still don't think he's even close to what Christian Bale did, um, he's not as bad as I thought he would be uh, and, and did a better job than I, than I expected. Um, cause I, of course I was basing all of my initial fear on, on the awful daredevil movie, but, uh, oh yes. Oh my gosh. Anyway, <laughs> we don't need to go there. So I, I try to at least, you know, reserve judgment on something until I've had a chance to, to <clears throat> see it, but it, it is an interesting choice. I would say that it would be a very interesting choice. And, um, my, I guess what I would say next would be that if they are going to explore the multiverse and you are going to have Nick Cage as a Spider-Man, uh, hopefully there are some of the other Spider-Men there as well to kind of maybe balance the thing out. Not just that's him. what I'm hoping for. <laughs> so yeah, that'd be my two cents on it, but weird. I yeah, heard that. I, I saw that on the, the show notes. I was like, what? <laughs> I did not yeah, hear anything yeah. about this. Because <clears throat> he was confirmed. It kind of came out of nowhere too at one point. He did, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting to see him be attached to this, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious also to see if, if uh, it follows through all the way. But um, I think that that's obviously with, with a storyline like this, where you have multiple Spider Mans and that sort of thing. Like, I surely they're going to have like all kinds of different types of of people playing Spider Man within the movie. Which I mean, I think that could be pretty interesting. And I was talking to a friend who has read the story and he was talking about how apparently there is like one of the Spider-Mans in there is actually an evil Spider-Man. Or maybe he just like, he decides that uh, for whatever reason, like like these other Spider-Mans can't uh, exist. Like they can't all coexist or something. So he's going around trying to kill the other Spider-Man. Hmm. That's it. And so like the Peter... Yeah, like apparently I think like the Peter Parker then, I think it's Peter Parker. And again, I apologize. In fact, I invite any listeners who are, are experts in the storyline to hit me up on Twitter or uh, Facebook and set the record straight, so to speak, because I have not read the story. But um, I remember the name. Miles Morales. That's his name. Miles, ah. Miles Morales is the other Spider-Man. <laughs> okay. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <clears throat> no, it's fine. Um Apparently, I, I, my understanding is, is that Peter Parker then has is trying to chase this this evil version of Spider-Man through all these different, uh, I guess it's multiverse, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's like a very cat and mouse kind of situation, and so that's that's about all I know on it. Um, it definitely sounds interesting. I think DC Comics has something that's also um, kind of like a multiverse situation as well oh yeah a lot of that stuff's um, happened with flash uh and with the people who have uh the uh the speed thing if ever they call it but um yeah he, he, and particularly in the flash he's dealt with that whole thing a lot yeah so that concludes the movie news and that brings us to our topic of the day which you know, I just realized, I don't think I even said what the topic of the day was at the, the uh, beginning of this program, so I apologize for that. But the topic of the day is what our contender for game of the year is for 2018 so far. Because seeing as how we are in mid-July, we are now officially more than halfway done with the year. And so I thought it'd be fun to kind of chat about um, 
games that have been released. They have to be released this year, but they are games that we've played that have made uh, a big impact on us. And um, I'd like to start off with you, Mr. Big Baby Moose. Mm. Uh, which which game have you played this year that you think um, could be a contender for game of the year? Well, I guess you'd have to look at it from from two different perspectives. I guess you've got the could beat contender for game of the year as far as what's most likely to be chosen based on combination of you know review score, Metacritic, that sort of thing. Uh, if you if you were going to go that way, and I haven't played the game, but I've heard a lot about it, it would probably be God of War if I were going to guess. Um, I've heard really good things about it uh, from a number of people, including you. God of War. But being that that's not a game I can really talk about because I haven't actually tried it myself. Mm. uh, If I were just to go on what I've enjoyed at this point, I think it's pretty obvious at this point what I've enjoyed. uh, For me, it's it's Sea of Thieves. Uh, Uh And I understand it's not the most polished game out there. And I understand it's got its flaws. And that to some degree, there's some definitely some repetitiveness in it. But I think for, for me, it kind of comes down to what, what do you play games for? Uh, what is it that you look for when you play a game? Uh, and that's going to vary at different times for different people. It varies at different times for even myself. You know, there's times where I'm looking for that incredible, you know, cinematic storytelling experience. There's times where I'm looking for that quick action fix. But more often than not, and maybe it's just where I am at this stage in life as, you know, a 40-year-old man, uh, where it's harder to get out and do things with my buddies and we're scattered all over the U.S. Uh, I'm looking for cooperative things where I can just have a good time, mm. you know, and, and just really just sit down and and like we talked about either why the pirate, the whole pirate lifestyle is kind of good for the soul to just stop being responsible for a little while and just have some fun. And Sea of Thieves offers a playground where you can do that. It, it, it really is a make your own fun kind of game. And I know that's kind of a negative, uh, a negative phrase in the gaming community for a lot of people. But hmm. I mean, you, you can attest to this as well as anybody because you and I play all the time. It just, that's what we do. We get in there yeah. and we just act like a bunch of idiots. <laughs> my, my, yeah. I've been trying to get my wife to play a game with me other than something like Tetris or Pagel for, I, I mean, I'm on my 19th anniversary here. So, and I've been together with her for 20 years. So for 20 years, I've been trying to find something that she would be interested in that I'd enjoy that's higher level than your basic puzzle game. She's had no interest in anything. And in particularly despised first person games because they made her sick because she didn't understand the controls and she'd be looking right. all over the place and it literally would give her like motion sickness. <clears throat> My wife is a young lass, sailed. She was part of Sea Scouts and loved to sail. She saw me playing this game and I was like trying to figure out what I was doing with the boat. And she starts telling me everything to do with the boat. And and I'm like, why don't you sit down and play this with me? Show me what's up. And she's like, yeah, this looks cool. Actually, I think I'd like to try this. And now she plays with us all the time. Like that right there for me makes a game of the year because it's incredible. Now, most of my nights I spend sitting with my wife, having a great time, drinking grog, puking all over each other and acting like an idiot. And she, and she enjoys it. Normally when I act like an idiot, I get slapped or yelled at or something. So it's a really nice change of events. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's good. I'm not getting <clears throat> smacked anymore. Success. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's funny. Yeah. It yeah. It's, it's great. Go ahead. No, no, go. You, you go ahead. Oh, um, sorry. You made me laugh and because <laughs> I'm sick. I can't laugh. Like, like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I know. Jeez. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, when, when I think about the year so far, um, obviously there are certain titles that I have not um, tried out, but I feel as though I have played uh, kind of more of the bigger tent pole games that have been released. Gears of War 4 obviously is in the running. I have beaten that game. Um, there are um, some little side questy things that I still have to do. Uh, mainly, I think... Did that come out this year? Yeah. Just, I'm sorry? Did that come out this year? Oh, yeah. Gears of War 4. Yeah, it came out, uh, I want to say, around February of this year. February or March. Goodness gracious. <clears throat> but... um. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I go back and forth between Sea of Thieves and, and uh, God of War because, um, on the one hand, you have God of War where um, it is a very different experience than a game like Sea of Thieves. It's single player. It's very linear. Um, it's a, it's a story driven experience, and there's a lot to like about that. I, I am a big fan. I know you are too of being told a great story. Mm. And going through that that kind of memorable moment cinematic experience, which of course the God of Wars are known for, um, they're kind of in that same vein as like Uncharted, or the um, or even The Last of Us, really. But um, yeah, I mean, what a masterpiece of a game in terms of its art direction. Um, I will say though that going to Sea of Thieves, however, I am I am really impressed with games like Overwatch and Sea of Thieves from the standpoint that both games were not, I mean, by all intents and purposes, they were unfinished titles that got published, right? Very common. At its core, <laughs> it is, it is. And when it comes to Sea of Thieves, like like the, the core mechanics were in place, but over time, over the last six months, they have been releasing more DLC content and making tweaks to the game, that sort of thing. And what I think is worthy of mention is I have, and I've said this several times on the show, I have several titles that I haven't even begun to play yet. Like they're just, they're sitting in my, my queue, whether it's on the PlayStation or it's in my uh, Xbox live. And every time I sit down, I go through this kind of process of, well, what, what do I want to play tonight? And I always find myself clicking on Sea of Thieves. And it's the most peculiar thing because you and I have talked to great lengths about this where um, we want to see just a lot more content added to the game. We want to see there be a whole lot more organic, lively interactions and that sort of thing with NPCs or having just more undersea, underwater life Um just all kinds of things that, that can that can be added to make the game even better. But despite all that, the game itself, I mean, the, Rare has really perfected the the gameplay because at the end of the game, end of the game, at the end of the day, the game itself, like the, like the the main strength of the game is being able to just chat and goof off with your buddies. Like you said, like it just act like an idiot. You can act like idiots and and, and just have fun doing it because if you look at the, at the game mechanics themselves, they're extremely repetitive. You're, I mean, you're, you're just, you're rinsing and repeating the same thing over and over again in a grind fest to try and reach the legendary pirate status. 
And if you look at it just with those mechanics alone, then the game begins to feel tired or pale in comparison to other titles. But I think the secret sauce in the game is they have been able to create an environment where especially if you have four people playing together on a galleon, it becomes extremely fun to play. Yeah. The the way I look at it is kind of like this. You know, when we were kids and stuff and before we had like, you know, video game machines, we were talking when we were young, you know, you'd go, you'd go to the park, right, to play. And, and you get to the park and the park's got, you know, it's got slides and it's got swing sets and it's got that little weird, you know, dome looking thing that's made of metal that you can climb all over and it's got the merry-go-round and, you know, all this different stuff. And, you know, you're looking at it and there it is. But when it's just sitting there and you're the only one there, it, it, it's, it's, it's a park. I mean, yeah, you can go fart around with it, but you're probably going to quickly lose, you know, interest. But when you get a couple of your buddies there or your brother you know, and you all start running around and monkeying around and you're climbing all over the slide and you're pretending to be pirates, you're pretending to be whatever, you're playing tag. All of a sudden, the playground becomes this 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 place that's just an opportunity for you to not only run around and just be crazy, but use your imagination and you're sharing it with people and it's fun and you're having a great time. And that's kind of what they've created with Sea of Thieves. You're right. At it, 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 the base, it's a very shallow you know, it, yeah. it, it's, it's highly repetitive. Uh, you're going to the same places, you're doing the same things and by itself that it, it is, it's just, it's shallow. Literally it's kiddie pool shallow. But when you throw in that special sauce, which is your friends, you've got this incredible playground to do dang near anything you want. You just want to, it's very much a sandbox. Yeah. You just want to sail around and check stuff out. Go ahead. You want to do quests and voyages? Yeah. Knock it out. You want to do the latest, you know, content drop that they put in there? Great. You know, you want to go fight people and just be a pirate and try and sink as many ships as you possibly can. If that's your cup of tea, go for it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just, there's so much opportunity to just kind of like, it's like a choose your own adventure book. It's like, what do you want to do? You know? And, And I love that freedom. But it's only good because of the people you do it with. So I understand the people who've played and they're playing solo and they're just like, okay, I did what there is to do. I'm bored out of my mind. The grind's too long. I have no interest in doing this. But for if you got some friends and stuff and you enjoy pirate stuff at all, it yeah. just provides the perfect playground to just go have a great time. I mean, look at what we did last night. I mean, the, we did all kinds of different things last night running around. The, the little trap that I set for the, the guys at the skull fort was hilarious. It's, it's opportunities yes, like yes. Tell our <laughs> tell our listeners the whole thing. Okay, so all right, so let me break it down for you. So we go to a skull fort, and the skull fort for those who are uninitiated is a random occurring event where you'll be sailing around the seas, and all of a sudden a giant skull cloud pops up in the sky, big glowing green eyes, and that means that it's active. You sail towards that skull, and eventually you come to the skull fort, and it's like this big island that's been built up with like wooden structures, kind of like a castle with cannons all over it, and this thing is full of skeletons. In the middle of this thing, there is a skull fort keep, where if you kill all the skeletons in it, kill the different waves, and then kill the captain who's in charge of the skull fort. He drops the skull fort key. You go and unlock it, and there are riches untold underneath that you can go and take and turn in, if you can get them out of there, and turn in the loot. Now, the thing is, that cloud that goes up in the sky, everybody on the server sees it, so it kind of you know attracts people. Uh, come one, come all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's very rare to go to one of these and just be able to hang out there by yourself and do the whole thing. You usually end up have, having to fight off a crew or two. So we sail over to the one we saw 
And oddly enough, uh, the, the server we got in, initially we got in, was pretty bare bones. I don't think there were many other people in the server, if any at all. And so we get there, start fighting, and for a long time no one showed up. And I knew we were getting pretty close to finishing the, uh, the skull fort. Uh, probably only a wave or two of skeletons left. And all of a sudden, a skeleton across from the other way started shooting it at us. And the only time that the, the, these little towers that are outside the skull fort start firing cannons again is if there's a boat that's in their zone, but not right next to the island. So I knew that meant mm-hmm. that someone was coming. So I start yelling, everybody, there's a boat, there's a boat. And then I see their flag. And sure enough, here <clears> comes <throat> a boat a sloop in to uh, cause trouble for us. So anyway, we go ahead, we fight them, we try and sink their boat, but we're trying to like simultaneously fight the skull fort and deal with their boats. So our tension's kind of divided, you could say. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So uh, credit to them. They did manage to kill us. And, and the combination of these other skeleton towers that suddenly became active again that weren't active before, shooting our ship and then them coming and doing some stuff and killing a couple of us. They sank our ship. Kudos to them. They sunk us. So we all respawn on our boat, an island a little ways away. But we can still see this cloud. So we endeavor to head back there. So uh, we head back. And as we're heading back, the skull cloud vanishes and what that means is that they have killed the captain of the skull fort which means they have the skull fort key so we're doing everything we can to get there we get there we see them they start to take off we start to follow and it occurs to me we're going to chase these guys all over the place and they're we're always going to be chasing them we need to set a trap so that's where the trap comes in so i said hey and this is where big baby moose all of a sudden had i had an idea I had a, what you call an epiphany yes and so i'm like i'm gonna hop off the boat and i'm gonna wait here and Steve should come with me. Good old Steve. Mm-hmm. And so we, we're, we're going to hop off here and uh, we're going to we're going to set up an ambush. Let's let them run. You guys come back around because we had, had that's the other thing. We had a bunch of treasure on our boat. Um, yep. that when we sank, it just floats in the water for a little while. And uh, so I could see where all of our explosive barrels that we used to blow up other boats and stuff were floating on the water. I'm like, hey, our treasure's still here. Just let them run. They're going to have to come back to open the skull fort. So let's set an ambush for him. So Russ agreed. So he's the captain El Capitan. Cause he looks like El a, Capitan. he looks like a conquistador, his character. So he comes yes. around and he parks. We start loading everything up. We found all our skulls and chests and stuff. We get him back on the boat and I'm like, Hey, let us have like three or four barrels. Steve and I are going to stay on the Island. I set up the barrels right near the entrance to this skull fort keep where they're going to have to put the key in to get in and get all the loot. So I put a couple of these explosive barrels hidden in the bushes right next to it. And then a few on the inside way up high where if you're not looking for them, you're not going to notice them. And then uh, I had Steve drop a barrel near me and go up into the tower so he could see if they were coming. And then I went clear across the other side of this skull fort and got my sniper set up right on the barrel that I put out where I could see it that's going to cause the, the, the joint chain explosion. And I'm just sitting there waiting to fire. So, and that's so awesome. And so Russ is like, okay, we're going to sail away, but as soon as you shoot the barrel, you need to let us know we're going to come back. So off he goes. Me and Steve stay on the fort. After a little while, Steve's like, oh, they're coming, they're coming. So we go radio silence. We're just sitting there waiting. And I see this little guy come running in on my left. He's looking around. But where I sat, I was kind of recessed in these bushes back behind a rock. And so unless he turned completely around, and looked right at me. He wasn't going to see me, and he didn't. So he kind of looks around for a little bit. And he scampers up to the door, and he's sitting there. And 
I see the thing start to glow green as he sticks a key in, and I see the doors open. I pop up, boom, and just huge freaking explosion. There's fire everywhere. You see the guy just get blown to bits. His little green spirit disappears into the ether. I go running in. (laughs) It's loot everywhere. I'm just like, yeah. So, (laughs) but then I realized, wait, there were two guys on a ship, and this is only one of them. Where's the other guy? Well, then Steve and I realized that uh, they're on the ship. So the explosion goes off. Steve's like, get back, get back. So my wife and Russ start heading back on our galleon. Steve and I go to mess with their ship. I take the barrel. I blow it up underneath the ship. Steve hops on the ship. And when I was blowing up the barrel, unfortunately, I couldn't get far enough away from it. So I died. But Steve gets on the ship, starts fighting the guy. uh, And the guy, to his credit, killed Steve. And so we both die. We show back up on our galleon. But now we're speeding for the place. And it, yeah. it worked out perfectly. Where we came from, their boat was on the other side of the island. They could not even see us coming. So yep. th- they eventually come back. The guy I killed comes back. They're on the island trying to get the treasure. And they're already speeding back. So we get there. And we're practically on them when they realize that, oh, crap, they're here. They hop in yep. their boat and they take off. And now they got the Skullfort Skull and the Skullfort Chest, which are the two m- most expensive single items in the uh, – in the skull for, I think the typically they're what, like three grand a piece, three and a half, yeah, four, somewhere around there. So pro- the, all together, they probably had about, <clears throat> we'll just say 8,000 worth of gold in, in these two items. But the rest of this skull fort is full of loot. I mean, there's exotic spice crates, there's gold, there's goblets, there's ornate carafts. There's, there's just, there's crap everywhere. And there's skulls everywhere mm-hmm. too. These skulls you can turn in for gold. So we're, I'm just like, Hey, we got the majority of the loot. Let's start unloading. Cause they took off. Right. <laughs> so they're kind of like, tooling around the boat we're unloading everything we're bringing it out on the beach so we can start doing runs onto our boat and but again credit to them one of their guys had hopped in the water and he snuck on the ship and tried to sink our Uh ship but russ was ready for him tell him what you did el capitan Capitan. i noticed uh he came on and he was actually making a beeline for your wife who was uh, doing some repair down below so I charged in and uh, I, you know what? It's funny. I didn't even use my blunderbuss. I whipped out my sword because a gentleman always fights in a duel. And so he actually, it was funny too. He actually brought his sword out and uh, we had some clinging and clanging going on and I bested him and sent him back to pirate purgatory where he begins or begins where he belongs the little rascal and so it was it it worked out great it was it was something that um there were definitely wins on both sides um regarding the sloop and and us as well and and um and then of course if you like i can i can keep talking about what happened afterwards where we were able to get all of our loot that we had lost when our ship had sunk the first time. We were able to, to, to recover all of that, which was great. And then we brought, we got all the other loot from the, the, the um, skull fort and we started to head out. Well, at this point in time, because they only took two items with them, the sloop was returning back to us because they wanted to try and get the other treasure. So then we started leading them on this wild goose chase across the world map of sea of thieves. And I mean, they were never able to fully catch up to us because we had some cunning, uh, ways of, of providing some, uh, 
big boulders or islands as wedges between us that they would have to try and alter course for or whatever. I will say though, that we had uh, a couple of Megalodons also kind of, um, yeah, that get was in the way of sorts. <laughs> uh, that was a bit of a, a problem. Um, but then of course, as we were going by the outposts, we just were, I think that's one of the other really great strengths about when you play with the same crew over and over again, is you can anticipate the certain moves that have yielded success in the past. And of course, so one of the things for us is just as we're being pursued, let's just offload our goods little bits at a time. So, uh, the three other good pirates on the ship would, grab something that was of high value and just jump off as we're passing an outpost, I would continue sail. And, uh, he just got to the point where all of a sudden, um, we had just a few more items left to deposit and we were making our way to a different outpost. They were still tracking us and we were going against the wind. And what happened was that there was this Island that was coming up and they decided they were going to try and cut us off by going around the other side of the Island. And I believe it was Mr. Big Baby Moose that had the idea. But um, as soon as we were out of sight, because there was that moment where like you couldn't see each other uh, due to the island being in between us, we were going to actually hit the e-brake equivalent on a ship, which is basically dropping your anchor and then um, doing a 360 in the, on the, uh, the ship itself. But we were able to do that as soon as we were out of sight. Uh, which caused the the ship to um, actually it's not a 360 excuse me it's a 180 and so we uh, we spun the ship around we immediately raised the anchor and then we, all of a sudden the wind was at our backs which is exactly what we wanted to have happen and at that point we had created enough distance that by the time the sloop figured out what we had done there was just an absolute ton of uh, oceanic water between them and us and I think that dashed their hopes for being able to try and uh, take our loot. Oh, we crushed so, their will like a grape. Absolutely. <laughs> like a grape. Yeah. But I think that that whole story, I mean, again, I think that's a testament to why um, I think we both agree that so far this year, Sea of Thieves is a contender for game of the year. I don't know if by the end of the year um, it will win the crown, so to speak, because there are some very heavy hitting AAA titles that are supposed to be coming out during Q3 and Q4. Um, but having said that, though, I mean, it, 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 I think it will be an honorable mention at the end of the year just because it's a sandbox mentality. Like this story that Nick and I just told is one of many oh, that gosh, yeah. any player who plays Sea of Thieves, they're going to be having those water cooler moments where they're able to talk about something that happened. And it's, and it's all based around having certain items and elements within the, the sandbox that you can kind of play with. And for instance, like with, with Nick's idea of the ambush, it was fantastic to be able to leverage um, some of the gunpowder barrels and lie and wait and that sort of thing. And we've seen other things happen in the past where maybe there's like one pirate that remains behind to try to like ward off like any other ships that come by, but just having that plan of attack of having our galleon, sail away to, to give the impression that we had given up and then hide ourselves behind the island over there. And then once the, the trap was sprung, then we, you know, lower the sails and immediately start coming back around. There's a lot of, of satisfaction, I think, when you see a plan that actually works out as beautifully as it did. And, um, and I think too, like, like I, I didn't have any kind of like bitterness that they got the two most expensive items. I think it's kind of cool just because, 
you know, all intents and purposes, like there were only two of them versus four of us. And so they were able to get a little bit of a win in there. And I think you mentioned it perfectly where you said uh, they won the battle, but we won the war. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Or, I mean, it's like the other night when we played and, and when we got attacked by that that pirate legend ship. And and they literally like we fought this ship for a better part of an hour. We just we'd gotten sunk because we got ambushed. Somehow we didn't see this thing coming. There were some weird things happening on the server that night as well. Yeah. But so this is this is this is a top tier ship. They've got the you know the 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 whole paint job and stuff you can only get from getting to Athena level ten, which is really hard to do. It takes freaking ages. We're not there yet, obviously, despite playing a crap load of this game. And uh, so, I mean, these are some experienced sailors and they, they managed to get us the first time. They sunk our ship, but so we're salty. I'm like, we're going to get revenge. Let's go back. So we, we go back and we fight this ship for like, what, an hour? Just a, at least we're just getting after just fighting tooth and nail with this ship, chasing each other all over the map, just firing cannons, launching each other onto each other's boats. This one guy kept coming under our boat. He was running the circuit where he'd run and get hit up our, uh, our ammo box to restore his ammo and then run and try and grab bananas out of our thing. And so we figured that out and we were kind of killing him as he tried to do his little loop. And, you know, meanwhile, we're like slamming into each other and cannons are going off everywhere. And I mean, we're just tooth and nail with this boat and they like, they, but they can't sink us. Not when we're ready. We're just, I don't think they expected the tenacity of our vengeance. Would you, would you say that's yeah. correct? I mean, we were, we were like, uh, <laughs> I would say that we, we earned their respect after that whole entire battle. I don't, I don't think that they were anticipating that um, pirates at, at our lower level compared to theirs had the, the drive that we did. Um, and I mean, of course, they were able to hold their own um, pretty well, but at the same time, I think that there were some some uh, pockets of doubt that started to kind of hang over their heads as they're thinking, "Man, these these guys are uh, they're 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 not giving up." No, and I mean, and then in the end, we uh, it took them sending all four of their guys onto our ship to sink us to get us finally out of there. But in order to do so, they sunk their ship and lost all their treasure. So again, they may have won the battle, but we won the war. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. They literally had to send everybody they had over to our boat and basically abandon their ship just to get us to go away. But in doing so, we did so much damage to their ship in that time, as well as killing several of them before we died, uh, yeah. that they lost everything. So yeah, I mean, it's things like that. I mean, you could, anything like that could happen in any given night, or you could just have a quiet night of just going around islands, doing your voyages and, Drinking grog and you, me, and Steve trying to throw vomit on each other with our buckets and, you know. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, whatever. Well, that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Thank you, Nick, so much for filling in for uh, Steve over there. I wish that the three of us could have oh, been talking about this. But, I know. Uh, you know. I miss Steve. We gotta, I know. And, of course, I'm, I'm like, not at 100% either. But, uh, you know, the next time we do one of these... Don't you worry. All three of us will be able to talk about something and the saucy levels will be even higher. But um, 
Make sure you tune in next week as we talk about San Diego Comic-Con. Um, I'd like to thank all of our listeners also for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and pledge $1 a month for exclusive access and early access to the show. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.com slash joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. And oftentimes, as of late, you'll be able to find Big Baby Moose and his lovely wife playing with us in Sea of Thieves. So you definitely should uh, give us a little bit of a, a tune-in-age. That's well worth it. Saying. It's well worth it. Exactly. We'll see you next week. Bye.